Okay, everybody. I have something really cool to tell you about. If you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain here. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will uh, distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one single place. Now, the way that you can do this is you got to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. And then you can get started. It's really fun. We just switched over recently here at All Too Real 2, and I'm enjoying it so far. So be sure to check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2. My name is Michael E. Collin II, and with me, as always, is... Matthew Haas. Matthew Haas? No funny nickname this time. Oh, okay. I was just making sure you weren't questioning your name, because you, you said it kind of questioning, like, Matthew Haas? Oh, I did. I, I kind of have, like, a sort of inquisitive... Um, yeah, yeah. I just I'm always sh- struggling with my identity. So, <laughs> so um, today on the show we have an all two interview with uh, film director Scott Barber. Um, he and we talk about his uh, documentary, which was awesome that I saw called uh, "The Orange Years," which was not about the four years Trump was in office. <laughs> no, no. Just want to emphasize that. Um, <laughs> the Orange Years was about uh, the, uh, it, it's called The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story. Story. Story? I don't know what a story is. Do you know what a story is? Anyways, so. Story? No. The, the Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story, which uh, Scott um, co directed with Adam Sweeney, a uh, childhood friend of his. Um, they It was a. Great interview with him talking about all the things. The, the documentary, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. You can, you can, um, you can buy it or rent it on Amazon Prime and iTunes and all those good places. Um, it's a uh, it's great, great watch. Um, especially if you if you grew up on Nickelodeon like I did, and I'm sure Matt did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if, you know if you if you liked shows like You Can't Do That on Television, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Doug. Ren and Stimpy, um, Rugrats, uh, 
Clarissa Explains It All. <laughs> yep. Um, all of those awesome shows and, um, you know, and all that. Keenan and Kel. It covers mm-hmm. all the years from basically the inception of, of uh, Nickelodeon up to the Snick years. <clears throat> the Saturday Night Nick years. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, it's really fun to watch. Um, and he was able to get interviews with, um, a lot of cool people like Keenan Thompson. Um, um, you know, especially Keenan Thompson is awesome, but, um, you mm-hmm. know, and, 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 uh, people from all the shows such as you can't do that on television, all that, you know, he, he even got Melissa Joan Hart's in there, you know, talking about that. He's got he's got Danny Cooksey from uh, from Salute Your Shorts, which was my favorite show on Nickelodeon. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's got uh, you know, Michael Bauer from that as well. Uh, other other great, you know, other great uh, actors. I'm, I'm blanking on a lot of them, but there's so many, so many great interviews with all these people. And basically he was able to get one person to say yes and then it on and on and on. He got he got Mark Summers from Double Dare. Um, oh that, yeah, yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, he's got lots of, lots of cool things. Talks about all the all the the great fun times about you know the the first you know channel for kids um, that basically raised a lot of us when we were growing up in the eighties uh, and the nineties. Um, so mm-hmm. you know if 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 you like that um, stuff. Um, Make sure you listen to this interview. It's really cool to find out how he was able to do this. And um, so right now, um, here is uh, my interview with Scott Barber from The Orange Years. First off, uh, how are you doing with all the uh, craziness in the world with COVID and all the other stuff going on? Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate. Uh, The way timing worked up, all of the projects that I'm working on are uh, in the post-production phase. And then, of course, I also have the Orange Years that's now out there and we're just promoting it. So luckily, I, I all the stuff that I had filmed, I had filmed pre-COVID. So that just worked out really well. We were very fortunate. So I'm doing as good as can be done during this crazy pandemic. That's awesome. Um, uh, how did you uh, get involved in uh, filmmaking? You know, it's kind of a weird story. I kind of slowly fell into it. It's hard for me to say when I got into it exactly. I I went to school for acting, actually, up in Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, that's what I got my degree in. And, and so a lot of us actors kind of were saying, you know, we weren't getting the parts that we wanted. So we're like, let's just make, let's just make our own little films, our own short films, stuff like that. So we could cast ourselves however we wanted to cast ourselves. So we'd all work on each other's projects. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth and then, um, you know, doing it artistically. And then once I got married uh, and had kids, I, I, I kind of took it a little more seriously. I said, OK, now I got to provide for some other people. So me and my wife, uh, we decided to uh, open our own production company uh, and we made just anything, anything and everything that we could make uh, to make money filmmaking. Uh, and then the Orange Years is kind of the, the, the completion of that circle that's my first actual full feature length film that I've ever made. Cool. Um, what was uh, your guys' uh, inspiration for the Orange Years? Like, what uh, what gave you guys the idea to make the make the documentary? Yeah. Well, um, so Adam Sweeney, who is my co director on the Orange Years, he and I are actually childhood friends. We uh, met in the late '80s at Oak Ridge Elementary School in Conroe, Texas. 
and uh, we were we were really good friends back then. So we watched all of these shows together. Um, and there's a line in our trailer where Geraldine Laybourne, who was the president of Nickelodeon, she says, you know, in the late 80s, divorce rates were going up. Both parents having to go to work was going up and cable was moving into people's lives. And she wanted to give people a childhood that they could remember. And Adam and I were both that perfect demographic. We were both children of divorce. Both of our moms and dads worked. So uh, we were both latchkey kids. So Nickelodeon, needless to say, meant a lot to both of us, both separately and together, because there were many sleepovers where I'd be at his house or he'd be at my house and we'd watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? You know, Adam and I are both huge horror nuts. Um, and that's probably where it started. And when we, uh, Adam's family, um, moved away, um, and Nickelodeon kind of kept our friendship together because we'd call each other. This is pre, very pre, pre, pre social media. So even though he only moved, you know, 30 miles away, it was like, you know, he might as well have been on Mars, but you know, we'd call each other and watch Snick together or call each other afterwards and be like, dude, what did you think of that? That was crazy. Um, so it was a very, <laughs> it was a personal story for both of us, for sure. It was something that we were, it was personal and passionate for both of us. And um, Adam and I, you know, like I said, we'd been friends since childhood and Adam went to school as well for film. And in our adult lives, we had written some scripts together and we kind of had both been frustrated both separately and together with how that had gone, you know, trying to make stuff, but you're relying on a bigger studio, you're relying on somebody else to pick up your project. And we just said, God, let's just make a movie ourselves. Let's just make it. Let's come up with the idea. Let's write it. Let's direct it. And let's get it out there all ourselves. And we figured a documentary was probably the most uh, um, attainable way we could do that. Um, so we thought, let's do a documentary. What do we do a documentary about? And we thought different things. And those memories of Nickelodeon from our childhood came came back to us. And we said, Let's do it, right? But surely someone's done it already. We couldn't believe nobody had. Nobody had done a documentary about Nickelodeon. And then, so we started doing some research. And once we found out about Geraldine Laybourne and her team, we're like, okay, that's the story. That's what's going to make this cool. So that, and this was in 2016. That's whenever the whole thing kind of came about. That's cool. Um, just, I, yeah, I grew up on Nickelodeon too. I was born in the late seventies. So I kind of, you know, I, was there from the yeah. pin, pinwheel days until probably around the snick years as I probably fell off about then too. So um, the uh, I'm just curious, what was your favorite like Nick show as a kid? It's real hard to say. Uh, it it would have been hard to say um, before this, but after getting to know all these people and I, I got to see it more from their point of view, the people that created these shows, I got an all new passion for these shows, hearing from these people that made them, but I still, I've, I mean, so it's incredibly hard for me to say, but if I had to pick, I would say, are you afraid of the dark? And that is because one, I just think it's a very well-made show and I think it's really timeless. Yeah. Um, there are a, a bunch of shows on Nickelodeon that are timeless, but I think that one in particular is timeless because it's a lot of stories. They took their inspiration from a lot of classic mythology, uh, classic uh, stories that you see, you know, the monkey's paw you see in there, the Pied Piper Um uh, the monkey's paw. You see a lot of those in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. I think it's well done. And I think that the fact that a lot of times those stories did not have a happy ending, 
I think that's amazing that it's a kid's network. And a lot of times, you know, at the end of the show, the kid ends up trapped in another dimension or with a vampire eating them or something. (laughs) I I think that that really kind of shows how progressive Nickelodeon was and how much they didn't underestimate kids that they knew kids could handle stuff that's a little heavier like that. And then also the fact that, you know, you think about it, all of these shows, once you cast your initial core cast, which I think Nickelodeon did a fantastic job. Like Clarissa explains it all, cast amazing. Salute your shorts, hey dude, all that. All those shows, they did such a great job of casting talented kids, but also kids that felt real. But Are You Afraid of the Dark took it another step because every single episode had to have a totally new cast. You know, at the you start off at the beginning with the Midnight Society, but then the bulk of the episode is the story that they're telling. So they had to be really good at finding new kids all the time because every episode they had to cast a new kid. And the proof's in the pudding because you look at all those shows, a lot of those kids went on to be huge stars. You know, uh, um, Nev Campbell was in an episode. Ryan Gosling was in an episode. Um, a, I mean, just it's it's crazy how many people went on to be huge stars. So clearly they knew what they were doing. Yeah, um, I do think, you know, ov- overall, yeah, they definitely had a – on their live action – Nickelodeon overall had a good, good uh, way of casting people that felt real, like re- yes. real kids, like on Salute Your Shorts, which was probably my favorite. Um, oh my god, yes, I love that show. And you know, you know, Denny Cooksey as uh, Butt Nick was probably my favorite character on TV at the time. So yeah, he was. Just, yeah, me too. Yeah, I he, was super starstruck to get to meet him. It yeah, was great. he. he uh, yeah, um, I, I was. I was starstruck. He he accepted my friend request on Facebook a long time ago, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah the, um, he uh, I he, and he had like the first season. He had like the the most ultimate mullet of a person ever. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I always say like when I was a kid, I I was a cross between Sponge and Budnick. Like I had the I had the mullet like Budnick, and I really loved heavy metal music like Budnick. But I was really small and nerdy like Sponge. So I think I probably wanted to be Budnick, but I was more Sponge. Yeah. But yeah, and you think about it. Also, that dude, if you're about our age, like he was on different strokes oh, when yeah. you were a little kid. And then he was in Terminator 2. I know. Uh, he even was in Mac and Me for a few seconds. So it's like he was everywhere. He was everywhere, you know, back then. That's awesome. I mean, that, that's got to be interesting. Um. That, that brings me to the next question. How were you able to get people like him and like Keenan Thompson and Melissa Joan Hart and, and, and uh, Geraldine Laneborne especially uh, to uh, be part of the project? It was all different ways, all different ways. We just had to cast, cast our net super wide. It's funny because, you know, like I said, Adam and I had never made a documentary before and we'd never made a film before, a feature length film. This was our first. So we were nobodies. <laughs> uh I mean, we still are, but I mean, we were definite nobodies then, but um, we also had no inside track. A lot of times when people make a documentary, we found out it's because they have some sort of access to something. Yeah, we did not. We had no access to any of this stuff. So we did a crowdfund. That's how we were able to start the project was doing a crowdfund and the crowdfund was successful. And then there was this moment of panic after we got the money. We're like, oh, my God, these people have entrusted us with all this money. What if we start trying to book interviews and everyone says no, and we just have to give everyone their money back and say sorry? Um, But, you know, so it was really difficult in the beginning, really difficult. But luckily, you know, everybody was excited to talk about Nickelodeon, which I think is funny because a lot of times 
child actors that go on to do other things, they don't like talking about what they did in the beginning. They don't like talking about um, what they did as a child. But I think it speaks to Geraldine Laybourne and her team at Nickelodeon at what a great environment that they created that all of these people, even people like Kenan Thompson, who's been on Saturday Night Live way longer than he was ever on all that. Yeah. Um, even he was excited to talk about Nickelodeon because it's where they cut their teeth. And, and they're just as nostalgic as we are, just in a different way, because that's the beginning of their career. Yeah. So – you know, we just started asking people any way that we could. If we, if we, if we could, if we could slide into their DMs on social media, we do, do that. that. <laughs> um, or uh, if we could get a hold of their agent or their manager, we just made a list. We just made a spreadsheet of every person we wanted to interview, and then every single way that we could get a hold of them. And we just started doing it. And then once we got the first five or six, the next five or six became a lot easier because some people would be like, "Oh." You should interview this person. I'll I'll text them real quick and let them know that you guys are cool. So yeah. then people would vouch for us and we could or we could message people and go, hey, we talked to so and so. Like once we got Mark Summers, we could go to other yeah. people and be like, oh, we you know, we just interviewed Mark and people be like, oh, well, if Mark did it, then I'll do it, too. So it got progressively easier and easier and easier. And then we took a trip to Los Angeles. We took a trip to New York and then we cut a little mini teaser trailer together. That our, our trailer that we even have now is still very similar to that first teaser we ever cut. Um, we cut a little trailer together for that. And we uh, debuted it at New York City Comic Con in uh, 2018. Um, and, and that helped us even more. Because then people were like, whoa, what is it? They could see it. You know, you can say all day, I'm doing a Nick doc. And people are like, what, what does that mean? What is a Nickelodeon documentary? But then once they saw, you know, Kenan Thompson, Larissa Olenek, Budnick, Danny Cooksey, they were like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And um, Adam F. Goldberg, you know, the creator of the fantastic show, The Goldbergs, he saw that trailer and uh, was like, I'd love to come on as a producer and help you guys just finish, get across the finish line. And so he helped us book the, he basically said, who do you want that you didn't get? I'll get them for you. And he legitimately did. He came back like within a week and is like, hey, I reached out to all those people that you said you couldn't get that you wanted to get. I got them for you. Now you can interview them. So and Geraldine Laybourne was one of those people. It's it's crazy to think we, we how this documentary could have been good without her. But we for the longest time, we thought we were not going to get her. Oh, wow. she, she was not going to do it just because she doesn't do interviews a lot, you know, yeah. and especially about Nickelodeon. And when we finally got, got to talk to her, she said, it was nothing. I know you guys messaged me a bunch of times. It's nothing against y'all. It's like, I just don't like, I don't want it to seem as though I'm talking bad about new Nickelodeon. Cause I think that's what people try to get her to say when they interview her. Like, Oh, isn't it crap now? Isn't it horrible now? Wasn't it better when you were there? And she has zero desire to do that. So once she saw that our documentary wasn't about that, um, and that we were cool and we were we were going to make this documentary and it wasn't going to be like a TMZ type thing. She was really awesome and has been nothing short of amazing to work with. She's been so helpful and so supportive. That's awesome. I mean, it's 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 very cool to know that like basically Nickelodeon was spearheaded and made popular by a woman. I mean, it's just she's she's basically like in a way the Walt Disney of Nickelodeon. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just. It's it's very cool that she was able to, you know, basically 
change everybody's childhoods of that era of, of our yeah. generation. It's uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of inspiration. I mean, I'm sure it's really inspirational seeing this documentary to like young women and uh, people that are trying to get into any kind of business, whether it be entertainment yeah. or not. It's it's very cool. Um, she she just seems like a very cool, down to earth, inspirational, smart yeah. woman. And I, I I like how that basically you've taken the documentary and made it about her because yeah. that's 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 probably the you know a lot. Of, I mean, because you could have done just like a surface thing about Nickelodeon and the stuff people know, but not everybody knows the fact that the people behind the scenes that actually yeah spearheaded everything. That and that was that was kind of what we really wanted to do was. Um, because you're right, she is like a Walt Disney, but her name isn't on it. So a lot of people don't necessarily know who she is. You know, of course, if you're in the industry, you do, or if you've done research, but your average person is like, oh, I love Nickelodeon. It's like, but you don't know who gave you that Nickelodeon, who gave you such a fantastic childhood. And I think with this really fantastic movement that we're seeing for diversity in um, uh, entertainment now, I think it's great to go, hey, Look what can happen when you do. Look what can happen when you do listen to voices that are outside of the 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 the, the quote unquote norm. Yeah, this already happened. This isn't a what if. What what if we start letting you know more people make stuff? Maybe it'll be cool. It's like no, no, it will be. This is the proof that it will be. Look, this woman who and and you and you and it wasn't just her. There was also Vanessa Coffey who was in charge of all of the all of the Nicktoons and Ann Sweeney who was. Basically, her second in command, and Angela Santamero, who was really, really instrumental in getting Nick Jr. off the ground. Um, look what can happen! It's yeah. amazing. amazing. So, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I was honored to get to. to, to I was. I'm very honored and uh, humbled to to get to be a part of this. Just curious, what do you uh, wish you knew that you know now? That you didn't know before you started the documentary. Like, is there anything that you know you wish you would have known? <laughs> There's a lot. Um, um, I mean, a lot of technical stuff. You know, like I, I know I can I can do everything that I did then. I can do a lot better now. So there's a lot of boring technical things. Um, the only thing I like to say is like, you know, filming and editing this film was so much fun. Like. What's the old saying? People say, like, do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's something like that. That's how this felt. Like, we had to really bust our butts to make it happen. And we knew we were going to have to because we knew for this to feel real and authentic, we were going to have to get a lot of people. A lot more people. You know, an average documentary maybe has 5, 10, 12 people. We knew we were going to have to get at least one or two people from each show. Yeah. And, um... We had to get a lot of people, and we did not have a big budget at all, at all. Like, this was done on a sh- absolute shoestring budget, DIY, punk rock way of filmmaking. And it was just so much fun to film all these interviews. It was so much fun. And then to get to edit them was so much fun. But then all the business side, uh, I would I, I would um, stand my ground a lot more than I, I, I think that we did. You know, there's going to people that there's going to be people that are going to try to take advantage of you once you have that. There were people that believed in us from the very beginning. And I that's amazing. You know, Bill Parks, Lee Leshin, they're two producers that came in from the very beginning and were like, hey, I think you guys have a good idea. I'm going to help you. But then once you start getting some traction, people want to come in and kind of take it from you. 
and, you know, just be confident in yourself. And also the business end takes a long, cause that's what I didn't know anything about. I knew how to film. I knew how to edit. This was just on a much bigger scale than I had ever done before, you know, much larger, but I still kind of, I, I knew what I was doing, but the business end, I had no idea. So that, that's what I wish I, I, I would tell filmmakers, like find somebody that you trust that knows how to do that stuff. That's we we did that, and that's the only reason why we were successful is we did have some people on our team that were good at that and were able to help us. Because you know, for example, the film debuted in at 2018 in, at Doc NYC is when this debuted, and it just now came out. It just takes a long time, especially if you have to deal with bullcrap from people. You know, it makes it come even longer. So, did you ever uh, visit Nick's Studios as a kid or anything? I didn't. I didn't get to. I always wanted to. Um, but our 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 um our cinematographer Sean did. So I got to watch a lot of his um home videos and hear him talk about it. It seemed it seems amazing. Yeah, I, I went there once when I was uh I was a teen. Um and uh I I don't know if I was really into Nickelodeon at the time, but it was still really cool to see the behind the scenes of stuff because yeah. I, I think that might have been like right when i was kind of waning off of you know yeah. like caring about nickelodeon but it was really cool though i i was glad i went into that because i i was more excited about going to like the back to the future ride and stuff like that at, you oh, know, oh, so, yeah. but but i i ended up going to that and i was like wow this is cool because like my little cousin he wanted to go to it and we were there and it was it was fun you know watching people get slimed and all that other stuff and we watched like a little game show i don't know if it was one that was actually aired on tv or one that they set up to Oh, do yeah. there, but yeah, it was pretty cool to see that all done. And um, yeah, I, I love anything behind the scenes when it comes to filmmaking because I'm a filmmaker myself. So it's you know kind of cool to see that yeah. stuff. But yeah, the um, yeah that 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 was fun. Um, what uh, um, what was like? I mean, I, I know I already asked you about like what you would want to know ahead of time, but was there anything while making this movie? that really, really surprised you? Like anything you found out or anything like that that was like the most surprising? Well, like the whole, there's a whole first chapter where we talk about Nickelodeon when it only existed in Columbus, Ohio on this thing called Cube. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by Cube. Like it was, because I knew nothing about it. So I was, I was having fun with that because uh, there was no nostalgia uh, attached to that at all. I didn't remember this. But to learn about this weird, it was a weird invention that, I, and I, I, I've always loved stuff like that, like failed technologies like LaserDisc or Beta or AOL. Like I love learning about technologies that didn't make it and why. And so that was like right up my alley to get to learn about this weird invention where you could essentially, this is in the late 70s, you could talk back to your TV through buttons. That's just fascinating. But the... And you, when, especially when you think about it, like, that's what we do now. You know, like American Idol or The Voice, you're, like, yeah. calling in on your phone and voting. That's, like, what they were doing way back then. The technology just wasn't there to make it happen, you know. Uh, it's kind of like the Power Glove, you know. The Power Glove was a cool idea for Nintendo. But it was when, when you actually – I don't know if you ever had a Power Glove, but when you actually got it, it sucked. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. But years years later, the Wii – did what the power glove was supposed to do all those years before, but it actually did it well, you know? So that I was, I was surprised by that. I was surprised. I was just gonna say, I remember the power glove looking so cool in the wizard oh. with Fred Savage, oh. but it was just like, yeah, I never, <laughs> I had a friend who oh had one, but gosh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the commercials the commercials had the guy he's like boxing and it's like whoa literally whatever you're doing with your hand is what's happening on the screen no there were like four things that you pointed at it was it made the games like way harder yeah but i was fascinated by that and you know the whole thing about vanessa coffee um vanessa coffee cr- uh helping to basically create nicktoons um I was fascinated yeah. by that. That that I did not know that much about. Um, and so to get to meet her and 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 find out. I mean, really, she should have been credited as a creator on some of those, not just an executive producer. Um, you know, and just as an example, you know, Ren and Stimpy was originally about like twenty characters, and I think it was called Our Gang, and it was just about all these characters. And and she was the one that was like, no, 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 no. The only two that are good are these cat and dog. If you focus on them, it'll be good. I mean, so, I mean, to me, that's like she should have been a creator, you know. So, and and just to think that it, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, there's all the you know, it's Cartoon Network, but at the time there really were no cartoons, creator driven cartoons like Rick and Morty and Steven Universe and all those shows we see all over the place now. Those were not a thing. The only things that got cartoons, the only the only reason for a cartoon was because you had a toy to sell. We've got this toy. It's a tra- it's a robot. It's a robot that turns into a diesel. We need to make a cartoon. Okay, we've got this guy that has a sword. He man. We need to make a cartoon. It was all cartoons were was just part of a a, a a a media package to sell toys, and that's not the case now, you know. And and they were one of the first people to do that. I was fascinated by that. And I mean, I think even earlier it was kind of cool before they started creating their own cartoons where they brought in things like Danger Mouse and other things like that early on where they were able to, you know, bring in stuff from foreign countries and, you know, because they weren't able to get their own. Yeah, I I loved that. I loved I loved Danger Mouse. I loved uh, Banana Man, Heathcliff. You remember Heathcliff? I watched that a lot. All those old shows I thought were really cool. And then... You know, it was Vanessa Coffee that was the one that came to them and was like, hey, you guys should just make your own. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and that's awesome. <laughs> they even played uh, Looney Tunes. They even played Looney Tunes back in the day, uh, late 80s yeah. uh, uh, Nickelodeon. And she was the one that said, just make them. Just make your own. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything about what they did was so creative. Uh, uh, Nick at Night, you know, I got to learn the history behind that. That, unfortunately, didn't make it in the film, but that was really fascinating to learn about how Nick at Night came about. And that's still going today. Yeah, I mean, it's – I remember Nick at Night as a kid. I mean, having – like my first, like I think, crush on a woman was Shelley Fabre on the Donna Reed show of some for some stupid reason, you know. I was just like, what the yeah, heck? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. like she was, you know – at the time, she was like in her 50s or 40s or something and I'm like a little kid and I'm like, oh, she's cute. But um, the <laughs> – the um, yeah, but the uh, – Yeah, the, the, I think I had the same thought. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the thing with uh, – with, with the, I mean, the cartoons, I mean, I, I mean, it's definitely really cool. I mean, I love the fact that they were able to even tap into, uh, like, the, the the preteen sort of thing with, like, Doug. I, I loved Doug. It was such a great show. I mean, it was so, so cool. And, I mean, it was cool to see Jim Jenkins talk about the, you know, about, about that in your documentary, which is, I, I think people will enjoy seeing, which is really cool. Because um, that... That show, I mean, it meant a lot to me. I mean, I didn't really care for it when it went to Disney, but it was it was great on uh, it was great on Nickelodeon. You know, yeah. I think it was mainly just because I didn't like the new voice of it, Doug, but <laughs> that was just it. But yeah, <laughs> it was Doug was great, and and Jim Jenkins is just a, a, one of those fantastic human beings. He's just one of those people that's like, you are made out of love, <laughs> you know, like. 
you are a genuine, like, shining, beautiful person. He seemed really nice in the documentary. It seems cool. Um, the uh, Was there anybody that you wanted to get for the documentary that you absolutely weren't able to? Or are you not allowed to talk about it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, I can talk about it. Um, I mean, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, realistically, we could have filmed this thing forever. We could have gotten at some point we had we, we, we had to cut it off. You know, we're like, OK, if we get any more people, we're not going to be able to f- do any shows justice. But I mean, obviously, a big one that that people always bring up is Alanis Morissette, who she was only on a couple of episodes of you can't do that on television yeah but but that would have been pretty it would have been ultimately all the people that we didn't get were for selfish reasons because i just would have loved to have met them you know um like i would have i would have loved i would have loved to have met alanis morissette also iggy pop he played um uh the uh the neighbor's dad on pete and pete i would have loved to have gotten to meet iggy pop again purely for selfish reasons because, I mean, they're, they're small parts of those shows, so it really wouldn't have probably helped the story. As- it, it doesn't really make sense. It, yeah. There, there, there are a couple of shows that I that I wish that we could have gone into more. Because ultimately, you know, we had to be able to get at least one or two people that were on the show to make it work. If we couldn't get anybody from the show um, or we couldn't get the footage from a show, we couldn't do it. Um, but I, my brother and me is a show that I wish we could have gone into more. Um, but we couldn't get anybody from it. And, uh, and then, um, roundhouse, like a lot of the weird shows I would love to have been able to go into a little bit more. Um, and then I I would love to have gotten more people from, um, are you afraid of the dark? We, we get a pretty, we have Ross Hall, Daniel DeSanto, Jason, Alisharan, who were all in front of the camera, and then we got um, uh, DJ McHale, the creator. So we got a, a nice cast. But I would have loved to have gotten some of the the female cast members, but uh, the ones that we, we reached out to declined, uh, and then some of the other ones we just weren't able to find. You know, it were because they're all in Canada, so uh, it just didn't work out. But I would have loved to have gotten some of the, the the females from Are You Afraid of the Dark for sure. Was that show shot in Canada? Hmm. Yeah, the majority of it was. It was. A, it was a. It was a Canadian production. Yeah, I figured with uh with Ryan Gosling being a guest on there and stuff like that because he was Canadian. So yeah, what do you have planned next? Anything? Any any other documentaries or features or anything coming up next? Yeah, I've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So I'm actually um just uh before COVID really got crazy uh wrapped um filming uh, a a cool documentary about the band Guar. Um, and for a lot of people that don't know Guar, their, their empire, I always bring up empire records. They were the band that, that eats Mark, um, whenever he eats the pot brownie. Um, but it's been a, it's been a truly beautiful, fascinating journey to get, to, to get to meet the people in Guar and get to tell their story. Our goal is even if you're not into heavy metal at all, and you've never heard of Guar, it's, you're going to like it. You know, it's, it's, we want to tell a story that. Because those those people have been through so much, and they really are the hardest working. Uh, I don't even want to call them a band because that's one thing. Spoiler alert: that you find out they're not really a band; they're more of a artist collective. Um, but they're the some of the hardest working people in show business. So hoping to have that done, uh, you know, soon, uh, and then we'll start shopping that out there. That's cool, yeah. I, I know that uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody from my area because I'm in Toledo, Ohio. 
that was a member of Guar at one point. So that's kind of cool to you know, hear because I, me- I remember that was the first time I actually heard of Guar. I actually saw them once in concert like years ago, like in the 90s or something. So, yeah, <laughs> that was crazy. That- that's kind of cool. Um, the uh, where can people find the Orange Years? Just curious. So if people want to I mean, I I myself bought it on uh, Amazon. So I was just curious where else you can get it. Yeah, so we're working with a, a really great distribution company called Gravitas. Mm-hmm. Um, they are also the people that distributed the Ren and Stimpy doc, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, which is fantastic. If you haven't seen that, that's a really fantastic documentary. Uh, we reached out to those people and just said, hey, you know, we're, we're doing something kind of similar, but also not that similar. So if we can help, we're happy to help. And, um, you know, if you, you know, we, of course, we talk about Ren and Stimpy in our doc, but for a much, much, much deeper dive on Ren and Stimpy, I always say watch that because they, it's a whole, you know, 90 something minute doc just about Ren and Stimpy. And they're able to tackle things that we, we just couldn't tackle in ours. But anyway, Gravitas has both of them. Gravitas is a great company. They've got it everywhere. So, you know, you can, if you want a DVD or a Blu-ray, you can get that on Amazon. But if you want to stream it, Pretty much anywhere that you can rent or buy movies digitally, it's there. So iTunes, Amazon, Fandango, Vudu, Redbox Digital, YouTube, Google Play, every anywhere that like lets you rent or um, and it just came down in price too. So it's like I think uh, seven ninety nine you can uh, you can own it digitally forever. So um, pretty much anywhere you want it, you can you can get it. Yeah, I bought it this week. I had, I had already rented it once, and then I was like, oh, I'll just buy it because I wanted to watch it again. So I was like, yeah, I'll just keep it. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, thank you. Yeah, no Thanks problem. Thanks for doing that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, the uh, what um, what advice would you give to anybody that's interested in getting into filmmaking? Like, hmm. Um, what advice would I give people? I would say. You know, uh, one thing that that I, I can only say what's helped me. I don't know if it would help other people, but but you know, one thing I would say is, um, you know, learn how to do everything at least good enough, but without forgetting what you want to do. So, if you want to be a director, learn how to learn how to do cinematography, learn how to edit, learn how to produce, learn how to do all these other things. But don't stress out if you're not amazing. Just be good enough at all of those things. Um, if you want to be a writer, learn how to direct, learn how to do cinematography, learn how to act, learn how to do everything else, at least at an acceptable level. And then whatever it is you want to do, try to excel at that. Because I've kind of found be, being able to do a little bit of everything has helped me out a lot because in a pinch, you know, I shot uh, a handful of these interviews myself. And um, I edited a lot of this myself, you know, and I booked a lot of the interviews. So a lot of the things that were a producer's job or a cinematographer's job or an editor's job, I did. And a lot of I mean, a lot of first time directors or even longtime directors do that. But I, I think that helped me a lot, especially when you're working on a no string budget to not have to pay to not have to pay other people. We, I mean, granted, we did have a cinematographer. We did have an editor. We had two other people that I edited this with. But, uh, you know, we were able to bring the by me doing that for free <laughs> was able to bring the cost down significantly. Um, and also it helped me talk to them because, you know, instead of just going, oh, make it look good. You know, I'm able to talk to the cinematographer and say, 
what if we did it this way? What if, you know, left looking right? What if we, you know, we did Keenan left looking right. So let's do Kel right looking left. You know, what if we, you know, we were able to come up with a style for how we wanted to shoot the interviews together because I, because I knew how to do it. Um, and, and, and like I said, it brought the cost down a lot, but you know, I didn't beat myself up if I'm not as good a cinematographer as a person who's, passion is cinematography why would I be that's not my calling and that kind of leads me to the second thing is learn what you're good at and learn what you're bad at because the things that you're bad at either get good at them or if you're not able to find people that are good at those things to be on your team you know like I I I was able to surround myself with some people that are really good in areas that I'm bad you know like I mentioned the 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 business side of it you know I have I mean, I've learned a lot about it and I can do it a lot better than I could before, but that's not my passion is filming things and editing them to make them look cool. Um, you know, not dealing with lawyers and agents and managers. So find people that are good at that so that they can help you. Um, so those would be my two biggest things is just, you know, learn how to do everything at least okay and be comfortable with your shortcomings and, and find people who are, are strong where you're weak. Yeah, I mean, you just got to surround yourself with people that are sometimes smarter than you about things because that way yes. y- you can learn from them and they can, you know, yeah. do the things that you can't do. Um, yeah, I mean, I-, I learned that a lot when I've made movies myself. So it's like, um, unfortunately, I just recently lost my – one of my best friends passed away because he – but he was like my, oh, produ- my, my producer and cinematographer. So it was kind of – Kind of cool, but you know, I can move on. Luckily, I know other people, so I can still do the stuff. But it's just, it's sad. But um, that uh, but but it was always cool to have him or other people around me when I was making a movie, so they could you know pick up the slack where I just didn't know what I was doing, or you know, or or yeah. you know was learning. Um, what uh, this is something I like to ask people once in a while is like, what are you watching right now? Like, is there anything that you've been binging or seeing or anything that you really have been enjoying? Yeah, I mean, I finished up The Boys. I really liked The Boys a lot. Um, I always liked the Watchmen comic book back in the day. And then I liked the Watchmen show that came out. But the Watchmen movie, I thought, was the the, the, the movie that came out a while back. Um, I thought was a little bit of a miss. So I thought that this um, was almost like what I imagined the Watchmen being like. You know, it tackles something similar. And the way they tackled uh, social issues that are happening in real life, I thought was just brilliant um and i watched vikings I, I i just finished watching the show vikings their their season uh came out i'm watching a lot of documentaries of course um there's a um i just watched the console wars that's about sega versus nintendo on uh cbs i really enjoyed that there's a fantastic uh, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest here because I, I do watch a lot of documentaries, but I also watch my friend and friends and uh, uh, peers documentaries. Um, Jasper Mall is a brilliant documentary. Um, and the one of the gentlemen that I edited the Orange Years with, his name is Bradford Thomason. He directed Jasper Mall and he and his partner, Brett, are just some of the most fantastic documentary filmmakers, I think, out there. They're just they did the Rock of Fire Explosion documentary. They did the Gl- Gorgeous Ladies of Rest. That was a, oh my God. I reached out to him after I saw that. And I was like, hey man, I'm kind of doing this um, Nickelodeon documentary. Would you want to edit it with me? And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. So to to get to get to work with somebody that was kind of a hero of mine was really um, a treat, you know. Um, 
But yeah, he has a documentary called Jasper Mall. It's all cinema verite. Uh, no sit down interviews at all. Just all as it, about a dying mall. And that's kind of fascinating. Like that culture is kind of going away. That business model is going away. Uh, and, and it's just such a great, beautiful documentary. Um, uh, I watched that one. And then um, let's see. Gosh, I watched so many. Um, uh, the the Vow I watched. Yeah, that was good too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Heavy, but good. Yeah. yeah. Like so much. Uh, so I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm watching. I continue. I try to watch a new documentary every week if I can. And then just whatever shows are, yeah. are, are pretty cool. Yeah, I'm a big big documentary fan. Obviously, that's why I reached out to you. Um, the uh, I especially anything about entertainment, but also, I mean, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I, I've got. I just actually added Jasper Mall to my uh, to my queue on uh, Amazon, oh, cool. Am- Amazon just the other day. I didn't realize that there was any connection. So yeah, I just added it. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll have to definitely probably watch that this weekend. Um, the uh, that's uh, that's really cool. Um, uh, before uh, before I let you go, um, anything else you wanted to add before I let you go here? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that I, I'm really has been such an honor, you know, to tell this story has been so amazing. The fact that we got to do that, I have to pinch myself all the time that that you know we got to make this Nickelodeon documentary. But but you know, the the importance kind of to go back to the advice that I was saying of of surrounding yourself with a great team. It, it it helped me so much. You know, we had so many talented people. Sean Coffin was our cinematographer on this. He has a documentary out called um, Netflix versus the world. Such a good documentary. It It's a really great companion piece too. It, I guess what I'm saying is I like to give a shout out to all the people that helped me out. That's what, how I always like to close because, you know, yeah, me and Adam are credited as the directors, but so many brilliant talented people made this thing possible that uh, that maybe don't get the credit um and it really does takes a village to make a film um but but sean he did netflix uh he did netflix versus the world if you've recently watched the last blockbuster that's a great documentary netflix versus the world is a great companion for that because he does go into blockbuster in his netflix doc of what went wrong there why why were they not able to compete with Netflix? Um, so if you've watched Blockbuster, if you want more of that good Blockbuster video nostalgia, watch Netflix versus the world. I really would. I worked at Blockbuster for nine years, so I definitely would. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so nostalgic. So, yeah, if you if you watch the last Blockbuster and you're just wanting a little bit more, watch Netflix versus the world. Because Netflix is only half of it. The other half of his documentary is basically about Blockbuster and what happened. Um, and then, you know, there's, uh, Bradford Thomason who did Jasper Mall, who also did a really cool documentary about, uh, Van Halen and, uh, called, uh, the, the lost weekend. It's short. You can find it online for free. Uh, it's really cool. And he, he's so talented window pictures. Um, and another person at window pictures is Bradford's wife, Allie, um, Clark. She did our opening titles. And I think our opening titles are so cool. Um, they, I think that when I saw those, I was just blown away. I think it totally sets the tone and she did that. She's so talented and she does a lot of the motion graphics for Bradford's movies. Um, and then, uh, Justin Harder of Klaus studios, he did all of our drawings and he's most famous for doing the end credits for Deadpool. He did, uh, a lot of our artwork. 
And then my dear friend, Jeff Johnson, if you get to watch the documentary, we have a lot of cool animation in it. When people are telling stories that happened a long time ago, we knew we wanted to animate them. And and it just so happened one of my best friends is a talented animator and he had – that's just his style. He didn't – he wasn't trying to do anything. That That's just how he draws and it came out so good. So Jeff Johnson, uh, check out his animation in it. Um Elisa Reyes, who was on Nickelodeon back in the day. She was a producer on our doc. Yeah. Um, she's so talented. She has a, a movie out called Break Even Now. She's an actor slash producer, so please check that out. Uh, she's so talented. I mean, everybody that worked on this. Darren Beck did our soundtrack. And, I mean, talk about a guy with his work cut out for him. He had to think about all this. When you watch our doc, we have so many songs in there. Because when we talk about, hey, dude, we had to play some country music and some that kind of music. And then we, we talk about, you know, you can't do that on television. We have this weird polka music playing. You know, we have some 80, 80s music. We have some like New Jack Swing in there. We have all these. Every time we talk about a new show or a new year, we have new music. And Darren Beck, who's in a band called Pinkish Black, he did all that music. And he's so talented. So, I mean, and uh, Lee Leshin, Bill Parks, they were producers. Everybody just did such a good job. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving people out and I apologize, but. It was just uh, so, so awesome to get to work with all these talented people. Very cool. Uh, thank you again for your time. And um, I, I do recommend everybody check out The Orange Years. It was probably one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. So Thanks. it was really cool, really entertaining, especially if you grew up during the 80s and 90s and uh, yeah, part of that generation. Um, you'll definitely enjoy it. And um, yeah, again, um, hopefully uh, you, you, I can't wait for the Guar documentary and uh, definitely be a keeping an eye out on what you and uh, everybody are doing so uh cool thanks again for your time yeah thank you i appreciate it no problem okay that was my uh talk with uh scott barber the co-director of the orange years um the nickelodeon story um hope you enjoyed that um you know matt had a good idea for a sequel documentary for this <laughs> when we were talking what was that matt oh just do another uh the orange years part two and it's just Having all the same people interviewed and talking about Trump the whole time, <laughs> like no context, no context whatsoever. Like, wh- why have them? And it's because the same guests. Just have, have, having like having um, like Drake Bell and yeah. Keenan Thompson and and uh, Mark yeah. Summers and people talking about Donald Trump, and then like <laughs> just have like a picture of Trump being oozed with like orange ooze, even though it usually was green. Yeah, color. the green green slime. Well, sometimes it was both. Yeah. Color. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a specific orange color that's actually owned by Nickelodeon, but um. Oh really? Yeah. Wow, so um. Yeah. Just like there's a pink color that's owned by Barbie. So um. Just little right, facts okay. that I it is randomly a, picked. Yeah. It is very specific. What's that? Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say yeah. They're just little facts that I've looked well, at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is like a specific like when you now that I think about it, like the Nickelodeon logo does have like a very like specific shade of orange like yeah so so yeah um you know we talked about it on there a little bit but uh you know i, I can't wait to see the next uh documentaries and stuff that um <clears throat> that scott barber and adam sweeney come up with uh i know scott was talking about they're doing one about guar <clears throat> the the uh the rock bands that dressed up and stuff the performance artists basically guar um yeah. which you know We'll, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Um, can't wait till that comes out. Uh, other things, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, 
follow the look in the show notes and stuff for all the links to everything that you can find out about Scott and um, what uh, what else he's got coming on in the future. Um, so what's uh, what's on your mind here, Matt? Have you been watching anything cool or anything lately? <clears throat> uh, just you know, WandaVision mainly. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, be, know, oh, before just... well, on the topic though, actually. This might be something interesting to ask you, Matt. What was your favorite? Um, what was your favorite Nickelodeon show? My favorite was probably. Um, well, I, I did like Salute Your Shorts a lot, but um, I would say Pete and Pete was probably my favorite. Oh show. yeah, and he interviews both. Yeah, he was... interviews both the Pete's in this movie too. So oh sweet, yeah. yeah. I would say that that was probably. Um, it clearly explains a lot. I, ironically, even though I was a kid, I actually did not like the cartoons as much as like yeah. the the real not real shows, but huh. the human or whatever the live action shows. But I did like Clarissa explains it all. I did like Ren and Stim- Stimpy, but I was at an age where I didn't really understand what it was actually about. I just liked it because it was weird. But I, I liked actually... Doug. I liked Doug. That was my <laughs> Doug was good. I I, yeah. I thought Doug was the best of the three. Um, original Nicktoons. There was Rugrats, yeah. Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, and uh, and uh, yeah, and Doug. I just said Doug. I just like totally blanked on the name of the show. I just said I liked, but yeah, no. Anyways, <laughs> it, it was it was a great show. I loved Doug. Um, the yeah. uh, you know, and, and it's cool. And Ren and Stimpy, I really can't watch anymore. I mean, it's just too gross for me. And right. um, and and especially with all of the uh. You know stuff. If you want to look it up sometime, that John K, the creator of it, uh, Chris Felucci, this is uh, John Chris Felucci. Um, yeah, he's not a good guy. Um, right. That's yeah. that's <laughs> all I'm gonna say. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you want to look that stuff up, go ahead. Um, There's of articles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of videos on YouTube and everything too. Um, but anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really recommend watching this movie. Um, recommend um, lately. Um, I mean, I don't know when this is going to air, but Peacock has a uh, speaking of stuff from like that I grew up with. Um, there's a reboot of Punky Brewster, which I actually liked. It's cheesy as hell, but I liked it. <laughs> so watched all 10 episodes the other day. So recommend watching that. Um, anything else before we uh, wrap things up here, Matt? No, I think I'm good. All right. So uh, make sure you uh Check out our Patreon. Check out our our um, Facebook group, All Too Real Two Podcast Group. Uh, it's a long name, but you know, just look it up. Um, and uh, you know, if you have anything you want to let us know or anything you want us to cover, uh, send me a message to Mike at CullenPark dot com. Um, and uh, until next time, bye bye. Thanks for listening to All Too Real 2 Podcast, a Cullen Park production. Produced and edited by Michael E. Cullen II. Music by Matthew Hawes. Subscribe and share the show. Visit us at cullenpark.com.